0: My name is Robin Wood, and I feel so privileged. I want to thank Pastor Greg and Beth and the leadership team for giving me this great opportunity. And there's so many things I already love about this church. I've been worshiping here uh, just a little over a year. And one of them is I just, it's a precious moment when we stand for the reading of God's word. We honor God's word in such a special way. So as you're able, would you stand for the reading of our text today? This remarkable story that we want to apply to our life. If you have your Bibles, it's Exodus chapter 3, but we'll uh, put the words up for you if you don't have those today. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock in the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from within a bush. Moses saw, though, that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. That's amazing. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I want you to say that phrase, here I am. Would you say it? Here I am. That's what God wants to hear from us. Say it one more time. Here I am. And before I read on, I want you to know now that God begins to declare what God feels and what he sees and what he hears. He says, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cries and I felt their pain. I want you to feel that for Muncie, that God hears the cries of the people in Muncie that don't know him and, and their pain and their brokenness and he, and he feels it and he sees it. And so Moses says to God, after this statement, though, God says, I'm coming down to set my people free. But Moses, I'm sending you. That's when it all falls apart, by the way. I'm sending you. Now listen to what Moses says, because we all do this. Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. Now go to chapter four. Moses answered, but what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's a staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. May God really use this powerful story today in our personal lives and bless it. You may have a seat. I've lived long enough now to know that God gets our attention through some unusual circumstances. Sometimes they're very painful. Sometimes they're what we never expected. Sometimes they're great loss. There's a passage that relates to this entire story that says God found Moses in a desert. But guess what it really says? God found a desert for Moses. That's what the Hebrew says. So when God finds a desert for you, don't reject it, as painful as it might be, because God wants to speak to all of us. And I had one of these moments that I didn't expect on September nineteenth, two thousand fourteen, just almost a year ago. It was eleven thirty p.m., and I'll never forget as my arms began to go numb, and I and I said to Julia, my wife, I said, Julia. We're newlyweds in the last year and a half, and I, I said, Julia, I can't believe this is happening to me. And I said that because my brother-in-law, who is my dearest friend in life, called me every day to encourage me. My brother-in-law had just died of the Widowmaker two weeks before, and I performed his funeral at Anderson University just seven days before this night. It was such a great loss, and I was grieving all week, and... And, and so I said to Julia, I can't believe this is happening. My chest got heavier and heavier. My arms were numb. Now, she reminded me, she said, you know, we've had a cookout tonight. I made you a couple of brats. Maybe that's it. And she said, with great love and compassion, she said, take a couple of Nexiums, I think you'll be okay. So I did that, but it got worse. It got worse. Now, she's an RN. She's been a part of Ball Memorial and CIO and, uh, for all of her life since college. And, and, and I tried to just calm down, and finally it got worse. And you know how people say when you're in real trouble, you finally know it? I said, honey, now here's all I remember from that moment on. I said, honey, I'm in real trouble. To which she finally jumped out of bed, and she said, okay, get up. And I don't know why wives think of the most important things, but she said, get a clean pair of underwear on. <laughs> Can we have a moment? Can I say that here at UC? So that's what I remember. She put me in the 2004 Suburban. We went, she goes, we're going to the emergency room. The next thing I remember, I was in that room, and this is where the message title comes from. I was in that room, and she was signing me in out front, and no one was coming to attend to me. I became so uncomfortable. I'm not covering for myself, but they they sent a young nurse in, but she was kind of working on my wristband so they could charge me correctly. (laughs) Anybody enjoying that moment? So don't don't hold that against her. Ma'am, I need some help. And so I I started real slowly. Now, now in, in my Bible, I carry a list of false beliefs because when I believe these things, it gets me in a lot of trouble. But if you can relate to me, here's one of the false beliefs I read every day, because this one messes me up all the time. Anybody live this way? Just raise your hand if you do. I believe the other line is always moving faster. Okay, okay. I got some people out there to understand. Okay. So so I began softly. I'm so impatient. I said, I need, someone needs to help me. I need some medication. And she said, Mr. Wood, calm down. I I started raising the temperature a little bit. and, And she said, your blood pressure's only one nineteen over seventy one. My blood pressure's never been one nineteen over 71. That's my wife. She she barely breathes. You know, you, you marry opposites. And so I looked at the blood pressure machine, and I saw the button on the machine. It wasn't on. Can we have a moment? And I said at first, kind of softly, "Ma'am, ma'am, the machine's not on. Oh, yeah, it's recycling. No, ma'am, ma'am, it's not on. It's been this number forever." The, the button's not on. And I said to her, push the button. Well, you want to say it with me? Push. Now, say it a little louder. Because that's where I got to. I said, man, push the button. Turn it on. To where Julia came in and said, Robin, we can hear you in the hallway. What's going on? I said, honey, the blood pressure machine's not on. The button's not pushed on. Julia. So she came over and she, say it with me. She pushed the button. In the next minute, you ready? 232 over 122. Yeah, let's have, have a moment if you care at all. <laughs> I was in real trouble. Now, Julia knows everybody in the hospital. She went and found me someone who could administer meds to me. All I remember, this was a whirlwind in the next few days. And I wish I could tell you the whole story because God was so faithful in ways I could never imagine. I had a cardiologist I'd never met return my call in 13 minutes. There's no reason to do that. And then he put me on a heart cath table. And then he woke me up and he said, four words I'll never forget. He said, Mr. what I had to tell you, you're going to have open heart surgery in the next few hours. He said, you have four blockages. Three of them are 82%. You're the widow maker, it's in the crook. it's in the worst place, is 87%. I don't want to scare you, but you're, you're going to die in the next week if you don't do something. I said, oh, you've already scared me. Yeah. He said, and then he said these four words. I said, please don't make me have open heart surgery. Never forget these words. You have no options. And he called his neighbor. He asked for a professional favor. And I ended up on that table to have open heart surgery. My favorite moment was I had two minutes to ask a couple questions. My favorite one was the question the doctor asked me. He said, Dr. Ollie, I'm doing him a professional favor. He goes, how long have you been his pastor? I said, 32 minutes. Come on, enjoy that. That's all the longer I knew it. Let me tell you something. I had a burning bush moment because after open-heart surgery, then I couldn't do anything. And I'm wired, see? The other line's always moving faster. I'm Martha in the New Testament. I'm not Mary. I'm not sitting at the feet of Jesus listening. I'm active. I'm worried about so many things. It's not good, by the way. Pastor Greg's been so good for me. Robin, I'm going to teach you to pace yourself at 60. Come on, enjoy that. He's been so great to me. So I went home, and now I've got this red pillow that I hold on my chest. And I can't do anything but look out the window. And I, I can't do anything for God. God likes us when he finally gets us to where he can talk to us. Moses saw a bush that was burning. You know why Moses was in the wilderness? Because he'd already tried to do God's calling his life his way. See, when you do it your way, you make big mistakes. He went out one day and saw one of his people being mistreated. He felt this is unfair. He felt God's presence in his life, but he took it in his own hands. You you know the story. He murdered that guy. And then he had to run for his life because Pharaoh was trying to kill him. So he's in a desert because he's messed up. I've messed my life up many times when I've tried to help God out or do things my way. You know how you spell sin? Little s, capital I, little n, when I do it my way. So here I'm on that bed. I can't do anything. Julia has to help push me up just to get up. And I'm in a perfect place to hear from a burning bush when God spoke to Moses. And he wants me to say, "Here here I am. And God does speak to me. And I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and God said, you've had four bypasses physically. Robin, you need four bypasses spiritually. And by the way, most people need these four bypasses. And anywhere you go share your story, I want you to share this so this is what you get today. Would you ask God to push the button today? Just say it one more time. Push, push the button. Because Moses looked in that bush and God said, I'm sending you to set my people free. When God calls us to do something, never forget this, when God wants to do something great, he always chooses a person. When God wanted to do something great, and what I knew as Buzzard's glory when I was 27, he chose a person. And aren't you thankful that, that Greg didn't believe another false belief I have in my Bible? Because we all need four bypasses. And the first bypass that I needed was even to forgive myself for my past. I couldn't forgive myself. I knew God had forgiven me, but I couldn't forgive myself for my past. Everybody needs that. Here's a false belief I believed for a moment, and it cost me everything. And it's even more painful when you already know Christ. Never believe this, by the way. Ready? Write this one down. If I was doing something else, somewhere else, with someone else, then I'd be happy. Did you let that sink in? If I was doing something else, somewhere else, with someone else, then I'd be happy. Listen, this couple is a gift to this community. Come on, give it up for that. They're just a gift. Greg has never believed if he were somewhere else, a different church, doing something else. And he's never believed with someone else. When I was working out of Oklahoma City the first year of our marriage, Julia would call me every Sunday and say, Greg honors Beth every Sunday. It's a special gift to us, isn't it? Special gift. But if you believe that for a moment, it'll cost you everything. And you might not be able to forgive yourself. God forgives you. But it's very difficult. We have to get over our past." Can I tell you why you won't be happy in your second marriage? Young people are right there. You won't be happy in your second marriage because you'll be there. Yes, yeah, so let that sink in. You'll be there. I prayed with people after both services, said, I, I can't forgive my past. Oh, God forgives you. We said a lot of tears this morning. Everyone needs a bypass around their past. Don't say, who am I? Because there's another Bypass that you need. Moses is to say, Who am I? I? I don't speak so well. I'm not the one to go do this. That's the bypass I needed. I've struggled with my self image all my life. Let me tell you why. I was born in a family of three kids. We're all 14 months apart. My sister's actually 28 months older to the day. My brother's 14 months older. It was painful because my sister, let me tell you about her life, she's the smartest person I know. She never got a B in high school, ever. She never got a B in college, straight A's. She was salutatorian at Madison Heights over in Anderson. Then she went on to Anderson University and graduated magna, summa cum laude. My brother was born 14 months later. He never got a B in high school. I mean, is this making sense to you? Never got a B. And then he went to college, he got one B, and he's still trying to forgive that professor. Come on. Yeah, he didn't get a B. You know, there's professors that won't give A's to anybody. That's their own issue. He graduated third in his class by percentage points and then magna cum laude. Has anybody you want to take a quick guess when I was born there were no genes left. Come on. <laughs> Listen, I got every grade that you could get and none of them were A's. In fact, I wanted to see if you were as smart as only one service. My brother got one B in his life. I got one B once. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. One of the thing And so the message was very clear when I brought home the C in biology and then a D and then an F and then I couldn't pass chemistry and I, I I couldn't get good grades in anything. English was a disaster. I took the SAT tests and it was real clear. A counselor looked at me and said, you'll never go to college. I've never seen such low scores. So from a very young age, you know what the message, you're dumb. Something's wrong with you. You don't fit in this family. And I didn't. It was so overwhelming to my parents, I didn't ever get punished, they didn't know what to do. I told them F was for fantastic, they didn't know what to do with an F. D was for dandy, I always had delight to have in class. No, no, it was painful. And I tried to compensate with sports, but, you know, I'll never forget, I had to bring my biology grade up in this one semester just to play, or I'd lose eligibility. I'll never forget, I don't want to break this news to my wife, but I did already in one service, is that finally they had the third semester on human sexuality and I got a C in sex. Here you go. Come on, enjoy that. Here's the deal. I felt dumb. I was told I was dumb. I was told I couldn't go to college. I was told I couldn't write a paper. I was told I couldn't use correct English. I was told I couldn't write. And people said, did you give your life to Christ? No, because I I didn't trust God. Because on top of all that, I was small. My 10th grade year when I got my license, I was 5'3", 115 pounds. So I got cut from the basketball team over at Madison Heights. I couldn't go back to school. Thankfully, my dad moved us to a small town in Newton Falls, Ohio. But I still didn't grow. And I didn't trust God. I didn't think he was a good God. You ever go to church and they say the phrase, God is good all the time? And they start, God is good, and everybody says, and I, and I couldn't say that. Have you ever been there where I couldn't say that? God, who am I that you'd ever want me? we got to get over our past. we got to get over messages and words that have been very destructive in our life. Then I moved to a town, Newton Falls, Ohio. And, and by the way, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of mental illness in that town, and our church was full of people. My dad was a music minister. By the way, can you imagine moving to a town where the zip code is 44444? 4, 4, 4, 4, 4. Come on, these people are dumb. <laughs> it's the only place in America with the same zip code. That's ridiculous. So I thought, well, I fit in here. I can remember that. I remember feeling so, so that God wasn't good. Now, you don't need to know my whole story, but I grew seven inches over the summer of my junior and senior year. And God allowed me, I didn't give my life to him, but he allowed me to play again. And I went on actually to play college basketball at Anderson University, Anderson College at the time. I know you're thinking, it looks like you swallowed a basketball. It doesn't look like you play. But there, God used a Christian athlete, Freeman Blade, to lead me to Christ. Freeman went on to play in the CBA and the NBA. But Freeman told me every day, God's calling you. And I... I finally trusted that God was a good God. And as you guys know the story, I got asked to be the youth pastor, eating, but then even then I didn't feel good about myself because I wasn't the first choice. And they let me know that. They chose my best friend, John Zirkel, who's brilliant, he's smart, he's a lawyer today, he's, he's very important. But here, when God said, Robin, I'm choosing you to go, I finally listened to the bypass. What shall I tell them if I go? Tell them I am who I am. First Moses says, who am I? But here's the third thing that you need to bypass on. You need to know who God is. Because when I found out who God was, it changed everything. Do you know what the Hebrew phrase for I am who I am is? I am the God who makes things happen. And my power shows up best in Somebody tell me. Say it again. Weakness. My power shows best in weakness. And I began to read the Bible and realize God chose all broken people to use because he's the God who makes things happen out of brokenness. He chose David, who was a murderer and an adulterer. He chose the apostle Paul, who was a murderer. Isn't that interesting? To write over two-thirds of the New Testament. He chose Peter who looked at him face to face because this was my pain. I knew Jesus and I've denied him a couple times so embarrassingly. And Greg has sat and prayed with me to say, God's going to use you again. Use you one more time. God uses broken people. He found Zacchaeus up a tree. He finds a woman at the well who's been married five times and living with the six. He calls people to know that he's the God who makes things happen. And so I listened to that call when I was asked to go to Phoenix, Arizona to plant a church. By the way, I wasn't the first choice. Are you enjoying the story of my life? No, no, they tried to get talented people. No, I, I'm not very talented, no. And I don't speak, I'm just like Moses, I don't speak very well. And my SAT scores, as I told you, were embarrassing. But finally a guy named Dave Sebastian said, I remember you, Robin, and I knew that one thing about you, here's the bypass. You have to have a heart of compassion like God. You have to love people more than anything else. You have to want people to come to Christ. That's why I'm so attracted to work with Greg every day. You know what he talks to me about? People coming to Christ. Why have we gone to four services to open up seats in the next few weeks? We're bringing our friends because he's a God who makes things happen. And I learned that by planning a church. I was nobody. When I got there, there were no people. There were no buildings. There there was no money. (laughs) They needed someone dumb to go there, by the way. Think about that. (laughs) And so, I went to Phoenix. And I met a man named Norm Juan who said, you know, if you believe God makes things happen, I'm trying to get people to make 20,000 phone calls to invite people to new churches. And I... I bought his, what's called the phones for you. And I shared my vision with everybody I could meet with. I met with 90 people. You want to know my charisma? Six people joined. Come on. Six people. I had to count my own family. Come on. They didn't reject me. From the church that was going to give us hundreds of people to plant a church, we got two. One of them became a missionary. Didn't even stay at the church. We loved it. We got to send her on the mission field. But here's the story. We believed if we made phone calls, maybe God would do something. We made 23,000 phone calls in August and September of 1987. The first service, we rented a school. I'll show you, he's the God who makes things happen. The initial of that school was PMS. Come on, that's funny. And on that first Sunday, 305 people showed up at Pueblo Middle School. Don't you love that? And on the front row sat a couple, Rick and Shelley Wilson. I met them at the end of the service. at the end of the service. Greg, I asked people to give their life to Christ. I want to ask that today, and 12 people made first-time decisions for Christ. I'm the God who makes things happen. And Shelley came up to me. We got to tell you our story, Pastor. You made the call to our house. I didn't. I made 5,000 calls. I I didn't even remember who I called. She said, "The night you called, can I tell you what was happening?" You wonder how good God is? She said, I'm sitting in the kitchen. Rick's painting the living room wall, and I say, Rick, what's wrong with us? It's Thursday night, she says. I say, What's wrong with us? My mother died Monday. We don't have a pastor. We don't have a church. We don't know God. We can't even bury my mother. Now, Rick was your normal husband. He paid no attention to her. Come on, enjoy that. And so she yelled louder. Come on, say, Push the button. Push the button. So she took it up a level. She said, Rick what's wrong with us? We don't know God. We don't have a pastor. We don't have a church. What's wrong with us? And then the phone rang. You ready for my word chart that I read? I identified myself. I'm Robin Wood. I'm the new pastor here starting a new church called Mountain Park Community Church. Could I ask you a couple questions? She said she covered the receiver and said, Rick, it's God. (laughs) Come on, people. You can't make these stories up. We don't have a pastor. We don't have a church. That's the first two things I say, who I am. She said, I wrote down all the information, and we're here today. And when I said, who wants to give their life to Christ? They stood up. Come on, people. That's good preaching, as Greg says. It's good preaching. I'm the God who makes things happen. And that began a flow. I sat and cried last week as he talked about Archie with the crooked finger. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to get right with God. And that flow started. And when he preaches Gladys' funeral, more people are going to come to Christ. And that flow started at Mountain Park. And I was saying, who am I? God doesn't care. By the way, do you notice in the text, God doesn't answer that question for Moses. He goes right on to tell who he is. And so we moved towards Christmas, the first Christmas. Now, by the way, there were 305 people that first service, but I preached, so 150 people came back. Come on, you got that. So we limped into December And then a woman came up and said, could we do the thing called Angel Tree? Buy gifts for prisoners' kids? Uh, Sure, sure, Diane, can you do that? Get, Get 25 angels. It grew to 50 angels. So we went to the first house to take gifts to three prisoners' kids with the Chuck Colson ministry. But there weren't three kids there. Look at me, people. There were nine and there were three moms who, all their husbands were in prison, and they were precious moms. And they were trying to work and make this happen for nine kids. And we didn't have enough gifts. So we went back, and we went back, we did an interview. Guess what we found out? Their refrigerator didn't work. Their stove didn't work. There were no beds. There were no coverings on the windows. The electricity was off in the house. It went on and on and on. A couple of the babies need to see a doctor, but they didn't have any money. So guess what I did the next Sunday? I got up and read the list of needs. Here's the good news, I didn't preach. Come on and join me. No, I read this list. No, I had tears coming down my face. I read this list of what we need to do for the Figueroa family and the extended moms in that home. I never planned on this happening because God says, I'm the God who makes things happen. And as I read the list about no refrigerator, no stove, and everything, I read 30 things. You won't believe what happened. I couldn't believe it. Someone stood up over here and said, I've got a refrigerator in my garage. I'll give it. And someone bounced up over here and said, I've got a stove. And someone said, I've got beds I can give. And a doctor over here, Dr. Turner, helped me start the church. One of the six said, I will see those kids tomorrow. He's been seeing those kids all this almost 30 years. Come on, people. Is that great? That's all. Give it up. Give it up. Vince stood up in the back. Vince says, it's, I forgot to tell them. Vince stood up and said, I'll, I'll rewired their house this week. And Vince wasn't a Christian. And he said, and I need God. And a woman stood up. She said, this is my first Sunday here. And she goes, I don't have anything, but I've got money. I'll give $5,000. Come on, people, give it up for that. That's awesome. It's electrifying. I'm the God who makes things happen. And then in a few weeks, it got better. The kids needed bikes. Now You know, that wasn't the top of the list, but they needed bikes. And, and so I got up in one service. This is why you should have multiple services, by the way. I got up and asked in the first service, could I have five new bikes? And don't, don't give me used bikes. Let's bless these kids. We've been so blessed here in Phoenix. We had people that were very blessed financially. I asked for five bikes. And at the end of that service, Connie and Brian Harrison walked up. I was the coach for their little eight year old boy, Eric. <laughs> I had a basketball team that I coached. They let me coach one year and then I was too intense. <laughs> so they fired me. Come on, enjoy that. And they go, We don't understand this. You know, we're not Christians and we only come because we met you. But Eric wants to tell you something. So Eric says, Coach, call me coach, not pastor. Coach, yesterday was my birthday. And I got a new bike. I want to give it. I told that story in the second service. As I was leaving the service that day, a guy came up to me and gave me a card with a guy's name, Bill Merritt on it. He said, you're going to need to meet Bill. I think you're going to get more than five bikes. And really, I remember my response was, well, you think I'll get seven or 10? He said, I go, who's Bill Merritt? No, just take the card. You're going to need this card. I put it in my pocket and forgot what he said. By 3 o'clock that afternoon, there were 153 bikes in my garage, people. Come on. Is that awesome? Give it up. Give it up for that. It's awesome. <laughs> I am the God who makes things happen. Greg, when I shared that you guys gave the first gift in the morning service, a young woman came up and said, nobody knows me. She goes, I just want you to know I'm so moved by what the pastor did she so goes, don't use my name, but here's $5,000. And there's more, but I want to give this to plant a seed today. And you need something to tell in the, in the third service. Come on, that's awesome. Come on, that's awesome, man, that's awesome. <clears throat> I'm the God who makes things happen. But we had to have a heart of compassion, and this church has it, for the lost and for planting churches and for missions. This is why God can trust this church. Now, here's the final here's the final bypass. It gets real personal for me. Moses, what's in your hand? I told you I went home and I held this red pillow on my chest and one night God woke me up and gave me this message. And then it got real personal because God said, Robin, there's one thing you won't put down since you've been a pastor. And and, And he didn't speak to me in words, but just in my heart. He said, you're a giver, but you manipulate your money. You give it where you can be the hero. You give it to church planters or missionaries. But there's one thing you won't do. And I'm going to ask you to put it down. Now, God said to me, you need to tithe at a local church. Wow. And I was coming here. Can you imagine me getting blessed every week and not being faithful in any way financially? And I began to cry. And then God began, in my mind, I don't know why God does this to pastors. He said, do you know how important the number 10 is to me? I didn't know. So the whole next day, because I got woke up in the middle of the night, I did research on the number of 10 in the Bible. So have a little fun with me. Participate with me, okay? Be the best service so far, okay? No one's been real slow, but no one's been energetic. So be with me, ready? If I brought up the number 10 in the Old Testament, first thing you should think about is the Ten Commandments. Think of the 10 plagues that God had to send when Pharaoh wouldn't listen to Moses. The number 10 is very important. You probably don't know this, but when God created the heavens and the earth, and when he did his opening creation in chapter 1 of Genesis, we read the phrase, God said, let there be. God said, let there be light. God said, let us make man in our own image. God said, let them be fruitful and multiply. By the way, the only commandment we've ever kept, fruitful and multiply. Guess how many times we read God said. And then we read about the Passover. And I did some research. It was the first month. Anybody want to guess what day of the first month? The 10th. Then we read about the Day of Atonement. It's the seventh month. You want to, guess, you want to take a wild guess what day it was? Oh, you guys are fine. Come on, you're, a little more energy. And then we get to Malachi, and he says, you robbed me. And he was saying this to me. You won't bring the tithe into the storehouse. Uh, tenth. Then you get to the New Testament, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, the, light, the resurrection. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And it goes on and on. You want to take a guess how many times he said, I am? 10. Ten. Now, let's go real quick, okay? How many lepers? How many virgins? How many minas? How many, how many talents? How many disciples? Yeah, 12. You guys are better, see? I messed up and you had a little warning there. <laughs> Ten. Now here's where it got real personal, and Greg knows this. Robin, you need to put your tithe at Union Chapel and your offerings and your faith promise. I never knew I'd be a part of a capital funds campaign. And I was weeping by this time because here's the deal. I said, God, what's it mean? Put it down. It became a snake. By the way, how should you never pick up a snake? By the tail. Come on, say it with me. By the tail. And I asked God, what does that mean? So never forget this. If you don't tithe, that's the bypass. If you don't tithe, where you're being fed whatever's in your hand, whatever resource, whatever talent, whatever, if you won't put it down and take it up God's way, it will always have the nature of the serpent. You can't read that in any book, man. That's what God said to me. Robin, your life and your money and everything will always have the nature of manipulation of the serpent, of doing what you want to do. I'm asking you to give it Union Chapel. This church is changing the world. Do you know I pastored long enough to know that 85% of all people at Mountain Park, every church, I've consulted over 300 churches, 85% of all churches, people, 85% don't give their tithe at that church. They move it around. They give it many places. Do you realize what could happen here in this capital campaign if we would put it down for this short period of time, two and a half years, a man came up to me two weeks ago and gave me $60. And I felt compelled to lay my hands. He said, I'd like to do this every week. And Listen, I'm not real smart at many things, but I became a math major somehow. And, and I can do numbers. And I put hands on him and I said, you realize this would be $3,120 exactly in a year. Over three years, it would be over $9,000 so I asked Pastor Chris, how many givers at Union Chapel on record? A little over 900, close to 1,000. Do you know if 1,000 people, and this isn't even a tithe, but did $60, did you do the numbers? $9,000 times 1,000, it's $9 million. If we would be as faithful as Eric with his bike. Now, I know there's college kids here. You know, college kids, if, if, if they... If they didn't buy an article at the buckle, they could give 10. No, at the buckle they could give $20. Come on. <laughs> but think how faithful. If God got a hold of us and moved us. And I want us to start watching don't be afraid of me. I'm never going to ask you for any amount. I know, I invite me to your home. I'm visiting, I hope to visit over 150 families. I've been in about 12 homes. I want to be in 50 homes in the next couple months. I want you to invite me. I just want to pray with you and let you ask God what you should do. We want to do this private and personal. And then we want to watch Greg's gift multiply. The woman who gave 5,000, multiply. The man who gave 60, multiply. God speaking to me and Julia. I thought I was being generous, trying to match Greg's pledge. And Julia said, oh, we we can do better than that. Don't you love your wife? When she said, would you finally listen to God? So we're going to do more than that. I love that. I love her generosity. People look at me. The only way I know to explain this to you is this. Let this, I just want you to know what you have in your hand. Let this group of balls represent the world, okay? I just want you to know that 10% of the world doesn't have clean water. We found that out at Mountain Park. Kids were dying in every village in Honduras that we were a part of. But when we listened to God and laid it down, one year we were supposed to take a missions offering of $50, but I asked the church, "Would would you quit giving money everywhere else just for three months? And you know at the end of that time we gave $220,000 in a 3 month period of time so that people wouldn't have lack of clean water and then they don't 35% of the world doesn't have clean sanitation and more people die. Kids were dying in every village cuz of lack of clean sanitation and water. And then 50% of the world will go to bed tonight hungry. And while I speak more and more children will die. In fact, while I speak, 20,000 kids will die this hour, 40,000 today. And 70% will never live in anything but substandard housing. And 90% will never go to high school and feel dumb. And 95% will never go to college. And only 1% will live like you and me. Listen, we're in a college town. There's college students here. One, I want every college student to know, will have resources like us and go to college and get an education. God says, I am the God who makes things happen. And I'm calling you. And before you leave this place today, if you want to make your way up here and pick up a ball and say, I'll pray about that. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Listen, I just want to do this today. Don't don't get nervous. Bow your head and close your eyes. want every eye closed, I'm going to walk down to this far section on my right and your left. Pastor Chris is going to be in the middle section here. Pastor Chris, every eye close, every head bow. And Pastor Gray is going to be in the far two sections over on your far right. And here's what I want to ask you. Every service I've asked this in God's spirit has moved in a powerful way. I want you to say, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? That's the final bypass. Will you lay down the tithe? Will you put him first? Would you betray Jesus for a tithe? See, God went on to show me that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I want you to hear this with your head bowed and your eye closed. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Guess what that is? The average salary was 300 pieces of silver a year. Judas betrayed Jesus for a tithe. And when God began to speak to me, he said, Robin, will you betray me for a tithe? And I cried. And I'm going to ask you if today you will say, I will not betray Jesus for a tithe. He died for me on the cross. Now, here's what I want to ask you with every head bowed and eye closed if you need this spiritual bypass today, if you need one of the spiritual bypass, your past, your sin, you need the bypass, you need a heart of compassion, whatever you need. If you need that, I want it to be very personal like this campaign. I want you to look up and make eye contact with me or Pastor Chris or Pastor Greg. Would you do that right now? Just God's moving. So let's see how God move. God bless you. I got time to look at you right in the eye. So look up. God bless you young people. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to walk down this side. And I want to look you right in the eye. God's going to use you in a powerful way. He's going to change the world through people like you because you're making a decision. God bless you, man. Awesome. So many of you. Make eye contact with me. I can feel God's presence here. It's awesome. God bless you, sir. I don't want to walk by you without looking you right in the eye. So until I do, look right at me. Today's your day. Jesus said salvation had come to the house of Zacchaeus because he responded financially. This is awesome. God bless you. You're all in with Pastor Greg and Beth. God bless you. God's doing a special work, giving you a bypass like he did for me. God bless you, young people. Man, that means so much to me. Anybody else, adults, God bless you. I just want to look you in the eye. God's going to use this church, usual. God bless you. I'm walking clear to the back. I just want to look you in the eye. Wonderful. God's doing a good work here. Whatever you need, he provides. God bless you. Good to see you all. Great. God, I pray that you will, as we close this service, you will just move in this place, and we'll see miracles begin to happen. We'll hear stories just like we did about Zacchaeus. And God, would you get all the glory as we take maybe a ball today where we just remember we would not deny you for a tithe. Lord, do something very special here at Union Chapel. And all the people said, amen, in Jesus' name.